Hello and welcome to the Races Formula E podcast. I'm Jack Nichols, and with me to discuss the ABB FIA Formula E Championship is the Races Formula E reporter, Sam Smith. Hello, Sam. Hi, Jack. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I would say good. I would say I'm doing good. And now, and now I have said that. But we haven't got any Formula E races to, to talk about. If you want to know about um, the latest news and everything with Formula E, then that'll be on our previous podcast, episode two. Uh, but for this one, we're going into the vaults. The not very old vaults, because this is only the sixth season of Formula E. But this podcast is called... Jack and Sam's Formula E OMG moments. So both Sam and I have picked three OMG moments and uh, the, the sort of most standout memories from Formula E. Was it easy to come up with your three, Sam? It was actually, yeah. I mean, there's there's been a fair few um, interesting, salacious, gossipy things going on in Formula E, uh, but none of those made the cut, unfortunately, for legal reasons. So we'll have to make do with my original list. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Mine were um, mine are fairly boring to be honest. They're not boring, but they're you know they're fairly obvious. Let's say. And uh, right now, off the top of my head, I can't actually remember the third, but hopefully, it'll, <laughs> hopefully, it'll come back to me as we begin. So, uh, you begin. You're you're the races formula reporter. You are the expert. You begin. Number one. Well, I I'd say that the two of my choices are a bit sort of uh, left of center, but the okay. first one is. I would think, I hope we we may have chosen the same one. If we have, we can just do a bit of a, a potpourri of uh, of memories, Jack, if we can. <laughs> but uh, the, the first one is uh, the Montre- just the Montreal weekend back in 2017. I thought was, um, I, I think I described it afterwards talking to some colleagues, among them probably Scott, Scott Mitchell, that, that, that actually that is the most dramatic race weekend I've ever been to and can ever remember. You know, I've been round a bit, various series and things. Just from start to finish, it was extraordinary. Um, just to give you the, the headlines, went into the weekend with Sebastian Buemi leading the championship. I don't know if you remember the points, Jack, but it was it was a reasonable, uh, healthy points advantage that he had. And it was a double header. He'd missed the previous double header because of this ridiculous fixture clash between WEC and Formula E. So while he was racing at Nürburgring in WEC, the New York E-Pre double header was happening and Degrassi ate into his points. And what had happened the previous year with their collision in Battersea, there was this whole kind of uh, trash talk culture. And obviously... Ten I, points. Ten points. I've just it looked it ten up. Ten points. Good work. Well, it was ten points. So I suppose in the context of a double header, it, it, yeah, okay, maybe slender, but it was... You know, it was a, a decent advantage to have anyway. And he was going into a race weekend. He'd been quick pretty much all year and dominated the early section of that calendar. He'd won, he'd won six of the first eight races. Yeah. So, you know, he had he had the upper hand. And the week before, I spoke to both he and Degrassi obviously being a sensational tabloid journalist at that stage i was very irresponsible with my <laughs> reporting and you know uh, poured some fuel onto the trash talk fire but no look it was all it was all good in the build up but i spoke to both of them and um seb was seb was actually quite sort of downbeat and dour 
Um, and um, I could sense that it, I don't know what it was, but he was obviously rattled to some extent. And then I first saw him in the paddock and talked to him, and and again he was um, he was very curt, very um, seemed to be sort of um, very just very jumpy, uh, and all didn't seem well. The first free practice session. As I remember, I can almost hear your voice shrieking into the media center, Jack, <laughs> when he creamed it into that chicane <laughs> and destroyed his car completely. And that was just another episode in this uh, this sensational thing. I mean, what, what what do you remember about that incident, Jack? Because it was so odd. He clipped the inside and then just went straight to the scene of the accident on the outer wall. It was a it was a big hit. It was a it was a big crash. It was a spectacular one as well because he um and I think that was part of it. He went through the uh tech pro that was filled with like fluffy stuff. I don't really know what it is, but it was like bursting a piñata. And so it looked a lot more dramatic a crash than it actually was. It wasn't it was a big hit, but it wasn't like the monster of all shunts you know alan mcnish would laugh in the face of that accident but um yeah and it but it was just a sort of a disbelief because this was a man who doesn't crash i'm trying to recall he had a crash in santiago but that was a weird that was part of the weird nissan break thing i i would suggest um and apart from that i don't really remember him shunting a huge amount maybe a tap of the wall in santiago in season five or four i think he nerfed didn't he nerf somebody off at long beach in season two uh yes at the, yeah. at the hairpin i think it was robin yeah. frights um trust me to know a robin frights uh incident um so yeah it, it was a dramatic but it was from then on that it that, that crash in itself was like okay not ideal but it was the way it then escalated i think the crash itself was like wow that's a surprise but the escalation was unbelievable yeah so they got they got the spare tub uh, utilized and i remember visiting the team as they were getting this uh, ready and they were using every minute and every second to get this out onto the grid. And we had that weird grid and pit lane, didn't we, at Montreal, which was kind of... Because what he'd, he'd, he'd missed qualifying as a result. Yes, yeah? exactly. So he's going to start from the back of the grid. And I, I remember being at the team, and it's I actually got a video of it, which I sent to Buemi um, a few months ago, actually, when, well, actually back end of last year. Because in the video, they're getting the car and they're wheeling it to the grid. And uh, jean uh, Jean-Paul Drio, God bless him, is is there rallying the troops and kind of, you know, being the the great kind of figurehead that he was and sort of pushing his guys to get the thing ready and wheeled up to the grid. And part of that was that they didn't have time to to weigh the car, which came back to haunt them because they were underweight. You know, they hadn't uh, wh- whether they hadn't um, distributed the ballast, any ballast they use, or whatever, or if it. I think ultimately they said it was to do with the battery, didn't they? It was something uh, to do with the battery or the the frame or whatever to do with uh, the battery that influenced the overall weight of the car and got them got them disqualified. So Seb went out and finished. I can't remember where, but Jack, you can scrabble around. Uh, no, I'm all, I'm already scrabbled because yeah. I realised this was about to come up. So yeah. I'm, I'm already so searching he, he f- for it. Carry he on. He finished the race 
pretty. I I'm pretty sure he got some points. I'm sure he would have got some points. Hold, hold the line, caller. He got he got some points and then was disqualified after the race. And I remember rumor spreading around, and uh, Andrew Vanderberg, now of of this parish as well. Um, sort of, you know, there was a whisper that uh, he was going to be uh, disqualified. And I went up and nobody... Fourth! Yeah, fourth. fourth. It was an exceptional drive, wasn't it? He just sighed through and got fourth place. He was hounding Sarazan on the on the closing lap. In fact, does he? I'm actually watching the replay now. He's up the inside of Sarazan. Does he get through? They're on the final lap. Oh, no, because then Sarazan held the inside through the left. Buemi's got the inside into the right. Maybe he made the podium, you know. They have a bit of a nudge. No, he didn't. He didn't because Sarazan held the position, didn't he? And, yeah. Uh, and he finished He finished fourth, but Degrassi won the race, so then went into the... Um... That was quite exciting, actually, just watching that back. Yeah, it's all it on was... the Formula E. Type in uh, Formula E full race show 2017 Saturday. Montreal. Then, then you can watch the whole thing. That was great. Well, there you go. And um, but, but DeGrassi had won the race and retaken or had taken for th- probably the first time that's, that year the the championship lead, which didn't do a lot for Buemi's mentality and his frame of mind at that stage. And I remember speaking to Buemi in the the media pen, and and, and I presume that he would have been happy coming from the position he did with a broken car and his team scrabbling around for a T car uh, to get the T car ready. Uh, and then coming up from fourth place, which, you know, is, is probably one of his best drives in Formula E, no doubt. But he wasn't. He was really rattled and shaken and, and not in a great frame of mind. It gave Degrassi the lead of the championship by two points at the time. Correct. Correct. Um, and then from that point on, that really, I, it seemed to be in, in Buemi's head, he, he went, he, he sort of seemed to go a bit Carlos Reutemann. If I dare say that, which is something that that our friend, our mutual friend John Watson would uh, would sympathise with, that 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 you know, as, as talented and as fantastic as he was, there was a mental, uh, some kind of mental fragility, and obviously part of that whole comeback drive for Buemi was the early contact with uh, Robin Freins, and then this remarkable march down the pit lane from Park Ferme which I saw starting and saw him... There'd been an unsafe release as well. Daniel Apt, That's he, right. he felt, yeah. had, had intentionally slowed him down. Yeah. And it, and it, yes, exactly. And Buemi then did this march down the pit lane and had remonstrated with, I think, first Acosta and then uh, got that wrong and, and gone to Freins or the other way around, can't remember. It was that way around. Yeah. And then, uh, so I was then out into the pit lane. I went from the media centre to the pit lane trying to sort of see what was going on, being, you know, being a nosy parker. And it, it kind of all happened. But when I got to got to him, I remember Mark Priestley, who was trying to interview Buemi. Yeah. As he approached Daniel Apt, who was just taking his helmet off, and 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 I don't think people generally know this, but at the same time that all this was happening, and if you watch the replay on on YouTube as as you um, as you promoted, Jack, you can see in the background a fire truck going past them both. Right, <laughs> so my attention goes to this fire truck, and then I turn right, and in the sort of collection area park Fermi area um nicholas prost's car is just billowing smoke and (laughs) 
that uh, I, I approached a member of the Formula E operations team, said, what's going on? And, and they said to me, they feared it was a, a what they call a thermal runaway, which is the, the doomsday scenario of a, a battery cells catching fire. And, and if, if that happens, you've got to get out of there quick. Um, so the next thing I know is this fire truck, and these guys get off in full-on Chernobyl suits kind of walking towards me, and I thought... You know what? Um, it, it might be Armageddon, so I'm getting out of there. So I, I turned around and I, I went back to the media centre, thinking we're all going to get escorted off the premises. So as dramatic, bravely ran away. Yeah, I, I ran. I ran from the scene of the, uh, uh, of, of what seemed to be Nicholas Pross Vesuvius, uh, like Renault at that stage. Uh, so I can't, I can't remember a more dramatic scenario than that going on. Um, and then obviously the next day, the cha- Degrassi won the championship. But subsequently, what I found out speaking to to Buemi is that not only was the Nurburgring thing um, part of his whole um, sort of neg- not negativity, but you know it really rattled him. Yeah. Uh, both he and Drio never really sort of seemed to get over that how that had happened and it just set the tone for this sort of episode these multiple episodes of drama that went on and it took a long time for 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 sebastian to get over that and i think you know he he, he certainly did consult drio drio did speak to him uh, after that to try and get his head straight and understand you know how he can learn from it and i, I actually think he was an easy target after that, and um, I don't think he. I think I think he got a bit too much. It kind of became a bit. Some people were bullying him effectively after that that whole weekend, and I thought it was a bit over the top because he he subsequently apologised for it. And um, but uh, yeah, it was um, it was a sensational weekend, and everything about Montreal is a beautiful city, and one we only went to once, and probably will only go to once. It'll be forever remembered for just this extraordinary situation of drama that went on. One little nugget to that. Uh, Kate Upton was there that weekend as a guest of Formula E. She was asked who's her favourite driver, and she said Sebastian Buemi because of his pit lane rant at the end. She absolutely loved it, loved seeing his character. And there was a little bit of a... Buemi sort of got that in the end. He kind of, you know, initially he was sort of... not embarrassed about the rant, but... In the end, he sort of got that people actually sort of liked him showing his passion and his and, and his character. Yeah, maybe that's not what he told me. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I yeah, a little I think, bit. I think that the years have passed now. He, he probably he, he could see some of that, but uh, you know, I think if uh, I don't know, I I, I think he'll, he'll look back on some embarrassment but ultimately you know it's it's a, it's a driver it's an athlete it's a sportsman showing passion but you know there, there's a there's a fine line between passion and kind of ranting isn't there and, and, and he was he was ranting at multiple people you know if he looks back at it now you might think well look i finished fourth I'm, i've now got a whatever it is six seven point deficit to degrassi with one race to go i've got every chance of uh of of retaining, Two. yeah, retaining my my title. So, uh, but it didn't work yeah. out, and I actually think it was I, I, that ramp was nothing to do with it. I think there were a lot of other things going on in in Sebastian's sort of uh, uh, life at that stage, which um, you know, which which gives him a little bit of bit of elbow room to sort of put it to experience, really. Okay, my number one, my first one is a boring one, and it's just the the first ever Formula E race because I had been. 
when they first announced Formula E, I, I wasn't I wouldn't say I was skeptical, but you know, I was as skeptical as anybody else was. Um and then I went to the car launch a year before the first race in September 2013 at Frankfurt, and there was a car there. It didn't move, it had no uh motor or anything in it. They had to sort of roll it into place. It, it was just a show car. And then we went through the the year of doing this and doing that and going to testing. And then we did a test race at Donington Park, um, which, you know, Dario and I commentated on. There was a huge shunt at the end with uh, Chanduk and Buemi because Buemi went the wrong way and Chanduk just T-boned him because Buemi just pulled across the race circuit because he thought he was meant to be going into pit lane exit, but he wasn't. Uh, so he, he got that wrong and got a massive hit. But that first race was, they did a formation lap and cars were breaking down on the formation lap and cars were breaking down in the race. And it was, shambolic isn't the right word, but it made me very apprehensive about the race to come. And then in Beijing, we did the first, we had the formation lap and it was embarrassing, but fine. And then once the race started, it was about 10, 12 laps in, it was something like, okay, We've got a motor race here. Like this, this is all right. And then obviously, huge shunt at the end. Nico Pross, Nick Heidfeld. Heidfeld's in the wall. You couldn't, you couldn't script a. Well, you could, you could script it. I don't know why people say you couldn't write this stuff because it's actually fairly easy to write. It's almost exactly what you would write in actual fact. Um, big shunt at the final corner, and that was like okay. It was like okay, Formula E, this is fine. This is a motor racing series powered by different um, elements, but it's motor racing. And that was a big sort of relief to me. It wasn't a laughing stock. It wasn't not working. It wasn't cars breaking down. It was decent. And it's and it's only grown from there, really. Do you want to know a great epilogue to that shunt, Jack? Uh, I know, no. I know you do. Um, oh. And our listeners most certainly do. And you may know about <laughs> this. I don't know. It's not widely known. But when the um, when the shunt happened, I, I can't remember if there was a... Obviously, there were double-wave yellows at the last corner, but there was no point putting a safety car out or a, a red flag because the race was finishing. Um, but the recovery car was deployed the recovery car was with the medical car and i think the medical car got re uh, deployed at the same time and uh, i won't name names but the driver of the recovery car uh, crashed it into the pit wall <laughs> no i didn't know that <laughs> yeah it's a good wasn't it and um, if you look on youtube actually you can see it in the corner of the um of uh, after the incident and Heidfels I think climbed out the car or is it just before I can't remember anyway you can see it on the um, on the feed but right in the corner and he he sort of creams it into the pit wall and uh, and then reverses out and goes again I think he only put the light out in the part of the bumper um but the other part of it is when they went to recover Heidfels car they um they went to put the winch on it and the winch failed, but luckily that hadn't gone up too far. And then they had to deploy, I think, one of the Williams guys to make sure all the systems were completely disengaged on the car. And um, it tore, I think, I think the story is that it tore part of the hoop off the Venturi because it wasn't fixed correctly. 
and the uh, the local marshals basically dumped it onto the truck and you know put the final nail in that Venturi's coffin for the day. I think <laughs> so. It was uh, yeah the recovery. Obviously by this time the TV's on the podium and the post race interviews and nobody saw it. But there is there is quite a um, yeah quite a sort of um, addition to the disaster from from the shunt onwards. <laughs> Right, what's your number two? Number two is um, is a story that I tracked very closely in, I think it must have been season three. So it was when Dragon had their tie with Faraday Future and they were running Duval and D'Ambrosio. So I got wind that uh, Jay Penske was thinking of running uh, Esteban Gutierrez, then uh, Formula One refugee. I think he just stopped with uh, Sauber was he Sauber wasn't he in 2016 yeah. probably so this is uh this was early it must have been early 17 this and the deal was agreed um I don't think he'd actually signed but it got to the point of Gutierrez um I think about to have a seat fitting certainly the team had got overalls made for Esteban to be the new Dragon driver and to replace Duval and I think it was going to be either Buenos Aires or Mexico, probably Mexico wasn't it? And Gutierrez was in the country, i.e. In, in the UK, he was down in London and some staff members of Dragon were deployed to go and pick him up and bring him back to the um, back to their facility at Donington then and have the seat fitting, and he'd be away, and then next see him in Mexico. From that point of leaving Dragon to go down to London and pick him up and get him ready, um, he signed for Tichita, <laughs> became <laughs> became Sean Eric Fern's teammate. Um, the details of this are a little bit uh, sketchy, but we I, I had a story ready to break that he was going to become a Dragon driver, um, Loke Duval, as far as I know, wasn't particularly updated on this uh, movement and on this development, which was a little bit awkward. Anyway, it came to the point where um, Gutierrez, almost like a sort of prized asset, was hurried away from his hotel to Tichita's facility, which, guess what, was next door to Dragons at Donington at that time. <laughs> so it was all extremely entertaining for somebody not involved in it, obviously. And it was extremely um, volatile. Uh, anyway, Gutierrez eventually signed for Tichita and turned up the next weekend to drive in, uh, I think it was Mexico. It may have been another Yeah, it trip. was. It was Mexico. He made his debut, wasn't it? And he was a Tichita driver, and Duval was, um, I think, left to have a, a fairly uh, brisk meeting with Jay Penske about the whole episode. <laughs> and then he only did three races, Mexico, Monaco, and uh, Paris. That's right, yeah. Uh, and and Loke did, I think he did the remainder of the season, didn't he? And then and then that was it. But you, you'd hazard a guess that the relationship probably wasn't the same again. Yeah, Loic missed Paris for some reason. Was that DTM or something? It must have been DTM. I think it was his first season of, of Audi, wasn't it, in DTM after the WEC uh, programme had finished. So, yeah. And Mike Conway stepped in. Did he? Yeah. He did, didn't he? Yeah. No, I'm did telling he? you he did. At Paris? Yeah. I know. I don't really remember that either, but but it looks to be a fact. Yes, he did. Your your ex uh, commentary partner. 
Yes, we did a couple of races together, actually, Mike Conway. The 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 one thing he did, we went out to a nice evening on a yacht in uh, in Monaco, and um, you have to take your shoes off when you go on a yacht. So I took my shoes off, and then at the end of the evening, I came to put my shoes back on, and there were no laces, no laces at all. Oh, what a jester! And uh, so I went back, and I was confused. Went back to my room, came down, and, and those are the only pair of shoes I'd brought to the Epre because I'm only there for like three days, so I don't need lots of shoes. Um, so I came back down with no laces. Had no idea who'd done it at this point. Sit down in commentary, and Conway goes, "Why are there no laces with your shoe?" Oh, oh, that's what that was on my bedroom floor. So he had no <laughs> real recollection either. We'd, uh, you know, we'd been for a hydraulic dinner, and. Um, yeah, so that's my little sl- mildly amusing Mike Conway story. Well, yeah, racing drivers on pop, it you know doesn't it's not a good combination, is it? No, uh, exactly. More, more um, evidence uh, for that. Yeah. My uh, my second one is another boring one. It's Battersea Park, Degrassi Buemi crash. I mean, in season two. I mean, what a um, oh, just uh, just unbelievable. Just I, I I don't really have much to say about it, but as as OMG moments go, it's just a OMG, I cannot believe that's actually happened. I cannot believe Degrassi has actually done that for want of a for want of a better, you know, maybe that's the wrong way of me to to phrase it. Was it intentional? Was it not? We'll never know. Who knows? Dot dot dot, etc. Allegedly, etc. But that it just blew my mind, that collision. Blew my mind. And I even did a little squeal. It's the only time I've ever squealed <laughs> on commentary. If you listen to it back, it's like a little... Oh! It's like... It's bizarre. Did it happen immediately? Did it happen immediately? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I'd planned that. I'd planned the... So I said, um, can you believe it's happened immediately or something? Which is a which is a reference to Suzuka 1990 when Senna and Prost came together at, uh, at Turn 1. And that gave Senna the championship. So I sort of thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny if uh, if I sort of said that if that happened? And then it happened at the first corner, and and so I had to, and I had nothing else to say because it was just so absurd. So I stuck it in, and there we go. And sensationally, uh, the podium I do believe was at Prost and Senna on it that weekend. What a nice, what a nice bow to the story. Do you like that? <laughs> that is a lovely go. little payoff. Um, that's my number two. There's not really much more to say about that, but you know what I mean? It was just OMG, wasn't it? Yes. Extraordinary. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not one to, uh, I'm not one to promote other projects, but I'm writing a book on Formula at the moment. And I went in depth with Buemi and Degrassi about that particular, uh, incident. And, uh, yeah, no spoilers, of course, but, uh, it's quite interesting how they look back at it now. Uh, we've also got a great picture of them talking after that particular incident that, that they presumed that nobody had seen them talking around the back of, you know, oh. some some nook or cranny. And it, that, you know, Degrassi's very animated, and 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 Buemi's just kind of staring into space. It's great, really good oh. illustration of. And that and that was, I think, that was the very much the scene set for your first story as well. Um, yes, you know, because I remember that weekend in uh, in. Um, Battersea it was the first time Buemi had come, ever come up to me and he came up to me and he was like, Jack, why do you, you know, why do you keep saying that I have the best car and Degrassi is, you know, outperforming his Audi? And I was like, well, that's sort of, you know, kind of how it appears. He's like, well, yeah, but look where my teammate is. My teammate is 
absolutely nowhere. So where's the proof that I have the best car? It's just Lucas saying I have the best car. So everybody yeah. believes it. And he was sort of really quite rattled. So I think that that was almost the... the Our you know, rivalry is delicious. I mean, they're yeah. just, you know, it's why we do it, isn't it? And the, yeah. other, the, other, the other nice little... Um, uh, what, what would you call it? A little nutshell on this, Jack, is that both... <laughs> you don't eat the nutshell. That's literally the one part that you don't eat. No, but... Well, okay, well, the... Um, Nugget? The honeycomb within the Malteser. Oh. Right? So both of those drivers at that time were managed by the same manager who managed Ayrton Senna and Alain Prost. Oh, that's good. That's Mr. good. Mr. Mr. Julian Jacobi. How about that, then, eh? Right, we've put too many bows on that story. What's your What's your <laughs> final uh, OMG moment? I've still not remembered my third, so I'll have to make it up in a minute. Okay, right. Well, I'll give you time. Um, it, it is It is an interesting one, actually. So in 2017, <laughs> in 2017, we'd I'd heard this whisper from the man himself, uh, Alejandro Agag, about a, a mythical napkin which had the blueprint of the idea of Formula E upon it after what is now quite well known as a um, as a lunch that he had with Jean Todd and um, an EU bigwigger's name I can't remember, Tajani, Al- Alessandro Tajani, in Paris at this restaurant. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll try and find this. So I... Um, I collared Alejandro in the paddock in Paris uh, early on, the must have been the Friday, and said, what was the name of the restaurant? And he said, oh, you know, he sort of, he had a bit of a jest and said, oh, we can't tell you, it's a, you know, it's an urban legend secret or whatever. And I said, you know, come on, shut up, just tell me. <laughs> and he uh, he did tell me. And um, I tracked it down. It's about sort of 400 metres from the Champs-Élysées. And I, you know, I can't remember how and why this happened, but I ended up going there with Adam Carroll, who oh. was then a Jaguar driver, probably? Or was it the year after? It must have been the year after um, he dropped off uh, the, the Jaguar team. But he was in Paris doing something or other. And I also remember it was my birthday. So oh, I was happy at, birthday. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, so we, we went out to this restaurant and we went in and we saw the maitre d' and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's in this little alcove. And he, he took us there and, and, and Adam and I looked at it and took a few photos and, you know, said, oh, it's real and it's what, there it's, it sorry, is. sorry, it's actually on the wall? Yeah, it's framed on the wall, yeah. I mean, without being – I love Formula E – uh, you know, I'm not being disrespectful to it. That doesn't feel worthy enough to frame and put on the wall of your restaurant. Jack, it's a relic. Yeah, you're a relic. You're not on some wall of some restaurant. <laughs> I have aspirations. I, I, it just feels a bit. It just feels a bit niche to me. Like I believe you because you've seen it with your own eyes, but. That's a niche thing to to put on your wall. Well, hold on a minute. This is this is one. But of the how most... do you know? But sorry, I don't. I don't not believe it, but what? So Jean Todd and Alejandro, they sketch out the blueprint and then they don't take it with them. They then leave it in the restaurant. Surely they have to take it with them. If that's the blueprint for Formula E, it's got to come with them. You don't give that to the restaurant and go, excuse me, monsieur, we've just come up with something great here, but you have the blueprint and put it on your wall, please. Sam Smith will be back in three years to have a look. (laughs) I I don't understand. Surely they're taking the blueprint with them. Jack, have you ne- have you never heard of spare napkins, of tea napkins? What? So they've copied. So they've done a duplicate. So they've done two. I don't know what they've done. I don't really. No, but care. come on. There's there's flaws in this story. You're sto- meant to be the investigative journalist here, not me. It doesn't make any sense. Why would they plan out Formula E on a napkin and then leave the napkin in the restaurant? I've seen it with my own. 
Right, but you see eyes. my you see my question with the logic of it all. Yes, I, I do see I do see it, and I have seen it, and it's there, and it's real. Now, whether or not it was donated by um, Mr. Agag to the restaurant. Oh, so they, oh, so you think he kept it for a few years, kept this napkin for a few years, and then gave it back to the restaurant, saying, "Sorry, we took this. We weren't meant to." Here's your napkin return. Yeah, he probably scratched a bit of jus off it or whatever and, and gave it a cleaner. <laughs> gave it back to the restaurant. They they, they obviously found it of uh, historical interest and put it on their wall. And uh, <laughs> and then Adam and I had um, a dinner which um, uh, smarted a little bit on the fiscal side, shall we say, because it was a bit of a posh restaurant. Oh, really? But, yeah, it was my birthday, so I thought, sod it. Did you, did you and Adam Carroll come up with any blueprints for anything? Yeah, we did, actually. Um, of, of a historic Formula 4 championship in Kirkiston. Um, and John Watson can be the clerk of the course. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was a good night, and... Um, um it was yeah so I, I took a picture of it and that picture is in my book uh in the book not my book the book of formula is it not your book uh, have i mentioned it yet yeah you have but is it is it your is it, it's by sam smith right it is by sam smith. so it is your book it's going to be available in all good retail outlets this july mm, you're pushing it now <laughs> you don't hear me here advertising the BBC's Checker Flag podcast, do you? Not until three seconds ago. No. <laughs> exactly. Because um, until three seconds ago, I was a professional. So that's that. That's one little moment there. You did your best to disassemble it and uh, besmirch it with your own... Uh, I haven't besmirched it. I just don't understand the, the logic of... Anyway, we don't need to go back into it. What's my, <laughs> what's my third OMG moment? I had one earlier. I, you know what? Miami season one was a bit of an OMG moment. Ooh, yeah, get that in. Let's do that. Because um, it was the first season, hence Miami season one. And let me just quickly look at the calendar. So we'd done Beijing for the season opener. And you were like, okay, cool. You know, it was, you know, on, on city streets around the bird's nest. It was very cool. Off we go to Putrajaya. I was horribly... Um, ill that week or that might have been the next year one of the one of them i was a bit ill maybe it wasn't that one uh no it was season two because that's where i lost my spectacles if you ever watch formula e from season one i wore glasses but i lost them in putrejaya season two uh at a dinner with andrew van der Berg, who uh is now head of the race and i said oh andrew i've lost my, i've left my glasses at dinner could you you know bring them for me he oh yeah 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 Cause he lost them, so I haven't worn glasses since uh, since since the twenty uh, first of November, twenty fourteen. Thanks to Andrew Van der Berg's. Anyway, then we went to Punta, cool track on the beach. Went to Buenos Aires, cool track. It was all cool, and then you rock up to Miami. Firstly, Miami. Secondly, oh, what a just what a what a track. Like, it was fully downtown. It was the central business district. It was the skyscrapers. It was around the um, American Airlines arena where the Miami Heat, I want to say, play. And this, that's when I thought Formula E has hit the big time. This is a super cool track. This is what the tracks are meant to be about. Actually, it was two that year. It was Miami, and then it was Moscow, racing in front of the... Kremlin and the um, St. Basil's Cathedral, those two races in season one were like, wow, this is what Formula E is all about. This is what the tracks are about. This is what the location's meant to be about. Unbelievable. That's those. I was really blown away in season one when we were racing on, on those kind of tracks. And we've had some similar, 
But I still think Miami and Moscow are up there with, with the best tracks that there have been. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Miami was a real interesting one. We we touched on it uh, in, in the previous episode about the drama that was going on off the track. And actually, that was the first race where all the dignitaries from liberty were so everything had to be perfect and fantastic and as we know it was far from it they had so many problems operationally oh the catering i can't even tell you about the sandwiches it was it was the worst food i've ever eaten was at the miami but i presume you're talking about larger yeah like you know you don't don't get a good scotch egg in miami do you but um (laughs) Apart from that, there is a picture which um, is in a book that I'm doing, which um, <laughs> is out this July. <laughs> we found a picture, and I'd always heard about this incident, that on the dummy grid, um, at the 10-minute board, they yeah. were still putting barriers into position on the track. Really? And we have got a picture of that happening. They are literally putting concrete barriers with debris fence already placed in them into the track with forklift trucks wow and alejandro agag and his team of executives were at the front of the grid uh kind of shielding the eyes of the liberty executives as this uh as this transpired and happened <laughs> wow because i remember free practice one was delayed i think because the track wasn't ready i remember walking down in the pitch black in the morning to the track and i think i walked a lap of the track actually because i hadn't had chance to go around it or something and i walked a lap in pitch black because it was uh it was delayed um did they forklift you into position just before the start as well no season one i didn't need forklifting into position it was this the subsequent years <laughs> of uh of formula e that is uh that has required the, the current level of forklifting <laughs> miami was the uh debut race for oh god um debut race for duval no. Oh, uh, no, it was. Oh, my God. It was as well. <laughs> so that we had three debutants in Miami. So Duval's one of them. Very good. Oh, uh, must have been. Um... One was on the podium. Oh, OK. So Scott Speed. Yes, there we go. And then the other one is a man who still comes to Formula E races now in an official capacity. Oh, Liotzi. Yes, very good. Those were the three debutants. I wish I should have done more of these quiz things throughout the throughout the podcast, but we're literally finishing now. Yeah, well, there's there's an idea for a, for a future episode if ever there was one. If ever there was, what if ever there will be a future episode? Yes. Or if ever there was a... <laughs> after this debacle, anything <laughs> yeah, exactly. after this debacle, nothing's possible. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, let's wrap it up there then. Uh, Thank you very much for, for joining us for this little fun, he says, hopefully, podcast, looking back at our three OMG moments. Sam Smith's were, to recap, um, Sebastian Buemi's Montreal weekend in season three, Esteban Gutierrez going to, to Cheetah instead of Dragon. Again, when you say these out loud, they don't sound that amazing. And, uh, and his amazing napkin thing from 2017. Mine are the first ever Formula E race, a massive crash, and uh, some great racetracks. But if you want, if you want napkins and Esteban Gutierrez contract saga, Sam's your man. I uh, cater for every niche. <laughs> Better than the catering in Miami, that's for sure. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Make sure you keep across everything at the race uh, at We Are the Race on social media, the-race.com. We'll do more podcasts on Formula in the future. Hopefully, hopefully, when there's some races. But obviously. Uh, We don't know about that. So, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Have a 
lovely few days until the next Formula E podcast from the race. <laughs>